Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Good morning, good morning everyone and welcome to 2020. Um, I say welcome but I think it's going to be a, a tough year for, <laughs> for everyone. It is a year that has to see decision making and particularly by the government because otherwise decisions are going to be made for it by ratings agencies, IMF, World Bank, <laughs> Every institution that the government fears and dreads most. <laughs> Indeed. Morning. Morning, <laughs> Hello. How's it, everybody? I, I think Sarah is absolutely correct. Again, Happy New Year. Welcome to the first show of 2020. I'm Big Daddy Liberty. And um, I, I think Sarah is right. I've I, I, I got a sense that we should always begin the show by greeting the ratings agencies, too, because, <laughs> you know, they, they might as well came the South African residency now. Yes, absolutely. Um, guys, welcome to the show. It's been a wonderful, wonderful holiday period. I hope you got an opportunity to spend the time with family and friends as you really sort of contemplate, you know, um, your new year, what you're going to be doing in this year, uh, you know, including some of the big issues that you're going to be facing as a South African this year, you know, issues that you, sh- you face at a family level, of course, and issues that we face as a society. So we're going to be having that conversation today, by and large, by looking at the news that was over the holiday period and, of course, looking at the news going into the year. What what should we be expecting? What are the big ticket items that we should be considering and thinking about, um, especially as we look to preserve um, our families and, of course, our finances and whatever the sort of things that you consider uh, as being important in your life. Um, again, this show is the show where we discuss dangerous ideas and, um, you know, uh, pay very little care to, um, you know, any sort of PC culture in that regard. But um, let me t- talk you through what we're going to be actually looking at today. Today, it's going to be Sarah and I. You're going to have us for the entire hour. We're not wow. going to have a guest. Um, so before we go to our first ad break, essentially, the show is always broken down to the first few, uh, segment where we talk about the news that was, you know, the things that we think you need to be in the know of. In our major segment, we're going to look at the year that is going to be. What are the big news items that you should be paying attention to? And of course, we'll wrap up by a short discussion around around what we'll be doing for the show in the year to come. So let's go to our first ad break. We'll see you guys after this. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the IRR show, the first show of 2020. I'm Big Daddy Liberty, and of course, I'm in studio with uh, Sarah Gon, and uh, we're so glad to be on your airwaves once again. Guys, we're going to begin by looking at what are, what are some of the big news items that have dominated the headlines over this holiday period as we're all sort of chilling at home, relaxing. Um, I, I feel like at an international level, Sarah, we actually couldn't chill. I mean, there was fears of a World War Three, wasn't there? What was behind all of that? Well, it was interesting. It was the assassination of uh, Kassan Soleimani, the, essentially the head of Al-Quds, the, the revolutionary guard in Iran, a, a truly terrifying force and a, and a fairly terrifying figure. He's been in charge for a very long time. Um, and there have been so many views on what the, America's assassination of him will result in that it's, it's fear of, of Gotun Dammering and, and everything that's to come. But... What's interesting is reading some of the analysts who are 
very Middle East focused, they have a much more nuanced view on, on this. And there's one particularly interesting one I read um, from the Middle East uh, Monitor, uh, written by uh, uh, Jonathan Spire, who's the director of, Middle, of the Middle East Center for Reporting and Analysis. And he's basically saying that Iran has built its strength on creating fear. Mm. It, it, it has... What it does is it arms militias, it arms That's interest right. groups, it shows it's strong, it, it, it has little incursions, it attacks like they did with the, with the Americans, they mm. attacked a, a, a site and, and killed an American contractor. Mm. Um, the only pl- place and time it has ever used proper military force has been, it was against ISIS. Otherwise everything else is this, is a sort of beyond the border and then Mm. Put it's not to say that the, the, the armaments they've got aren't substantive, but what he's saying is that they've created the threat continuously yes. that they are going to do something, and sometimes they do do something, using this, 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 these, these, these militias and these, these uh, third parties. Pro- proxies, essentially, essentially that proxies. they fund and support. And, and so with Soleimani, they, they have to, they will have to, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, defend his honor and, and, and lord him and there'll probably will be some, some strikes and some terrorism as a matter of result. But what, what he is saying, what Spy is saying is that with respect, because they are, Iran is actually so much smaller militarily than, than, um, the US, they cannot at all afford a war. And that, although they might trigger one without, hope, without ex- intending to, mm-hmm. because their, their actions are warlike and that in fact they can't really do it and they, and they actually want the sanctions against them to be lifted. But this is their little sort of, these threats here and there yes. and, and they're not as big as they look. Here's the funny thing, um, cause I've been having a, a back and forth on social mm. media with people who are both pro Iran, which is stupefying for me, but okay. Mm. Um, and of course those who are not necessarily pro America because no one really wants a war, mm. to be brutally honest, mm. uh, because it has impacts even for us here in mm. South Africa, you know, in terms of the price of fuel, et cetera, et cetera. But glossing over that for a moment, the, the, the one thing the Iranians perhaps didn't account for is mm. just how, um, Steadfast and res- resolute, if you mm. will, in action, Donald Trump is. Mm. He seems to be a very different president from predecessors. Mm. Donald Trump is not going to send you pallets of cash mm. like uh, President Barack did, you know, in the dead of night. Um, he's not going to pontificate, okay. and you know, he he's going to issue what I've been calling online uh, rap battle threats. You know, <laughs> like um, you know, we're going to destroy twenty five uh, cultural sites across the. You know, he's he's that kind of president. He, he strikes me as a bit of a rapper. You know, aggressive, in your face, but also backs it up with action. Which is the scary part For those of us who like peace I want to put this to you Sarah very quickly Um the, the Iranians has, have seemed to responded in like, mm. in terms of uh, the, the pageantry, of course, mm. of saying, yes, we're going to go to war mm. by raising a red flag mm. over their biggest mosque and, you know, all the, the, the bluster, the rhetoric and, and the like. You've made an important point, and I think you're also paraphrasing a certain article, which is Iran, though, is not going to act as an army invading mm. or, or rather in, an army sort of responding. It's going to fund these proxy groups. Now, this is where I want to bring in my favorite country, my, my love, my first love, Israel. Mm-hmm. Israel is in that region. It, ha- it has been working um, other Arab nations to sort of say, hey, guys, let's warm up relations between us mm. because we've got a common enemy, and mm. that is Iran. It is destabilizing the region. It's funding terror, etc., etc. What does Iran do? Excuse me. What does uh, Israel do uh, in this regard? Because it 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 already has been targeted by mm. Iran because of its proximity. Mm. Like 
the Iranians, as you said, are not going to hit America per se, but they'll definitely hit, hit Israel, won't they? Well, they will, and I think Israel knows it and expects it and, and is, is, is more than anyone prepared for it. But what I think is most interesting is the so we saw the glasnost between Israel and, and, and a significant number of the Sunni Arab countries. Mm. Uh, I mean, the, 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 there was a speech by, I think it was the foreign minister of the UAE, Bahrain, I'm not quite sure. Right. Um, essentially saying very, very clearly that he, he, he was quoting an article saying that we have got to um, uh, create better relations with Israel. It can only be to our benefit. Iran is our common enemy. Mm. And one article I read, and unfortunately I couldn't find it, so I can't quote it exactly. Somebody, somebody at a high level, and they were appearing, for example, at their Expo 2020, which is coming up, which is a big yes, thing. Yes, which is a massive thing. Massive Israel thing. part of that. Yeah. And uh, what was really ironic is somebody said, you know, the Palestinians, we kind of, they had the chance in 48 to get their own state. They declined. Tough. Get on with it. I mean, <laughs> look, the, the history there, they're a little bit loose on the history of their role in that. But, well, my, but it's just as correct. But my, my has to, how things have changed. And mm. I, I think any attempt to really close in that gap and, <clears throat> and widen the gap between the, well, not one gap between Sunni um, Sunni Islam and and Shia, but to cre- to make the definitions clear yes. and to and to be um, welcomed into the circle of a nation in the Middle East, I, I think ironically may in the long run help to bolster. Uh, Israel's uh, absolutely. Guys, if you want to get involved in the conversation here in the studio, remember the studio number is 010-140-3020 or send us a telegram at 061-895-1019. Hey, if you're old school like I am, well then send us an SMS at 34519. Remember, you can also comment via social media. Find me at Big Daddy Liberty at Big Daddy Liberty on Twitter or Facebook and send your comments on the I will be watching my social media feed. Uh, Sarah, we're going to keep international mm-hmm. and perhaps as I ask a, a, a final question on um, uh, this uh, this conflict in this region because I think it's it's really going to have massive impacts and we're going to have someone in, in studio perhaps in the coming mm-hmm. weeks to t- chat about this um, but as I said let, let's keep it international and um, let's look at the Australians mm-hmm. oh my goodness the Australians right now are facing an inferno that is hasn't been seen in, in decades it's, it's interesting I mean if you look at a map of of Australia at the moment there are literally fires to a greater or larger extent in the whole of Australia except perhaps for the middle de- the desert in the middle mm. even Perth so it's, it's obviously it's not it's it's very dry and it has been very dry for too long mm. but obviously that has something to do with the eucalyptus trees which are indigenous That's to right. Australia and are very flammable mm. so that exacerbates things so you have this this Extraordinary inferno that is, there's so much heat and so much smoke that it is creating its own weather system mm. and it is preventing rain. I gather though that yesterday they actually experienced <coughs> rain in certain areas. Mm. But I know that oh, in, in, in reading that. something, in reading something about how things are going to change weather-wise, um, the, the couple of areas in the world that they've, that they've highlighted may be unlivable and parts of India Bangladesh and Australia were mentioned, and, mm. uh, and, uh, and it, that's it, the, the increasing dryness and des- desertification. Is that the right word? Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that really interested me was almost the lack of response to an, an extent, or, or maybe a lazy response from the international community um, in both regards. You know, usually you have, you have there's two types of responses. The one is, hey, you guys are in trouble. We're going to send some firefighters. We'll send some equipment. Mm. We'll help you out. Mm. The other response is the usual sort of like... Um, 
I, I don't know what I should call it, but like, you know, the, the climate hippies will mm. come in and say, ha, you see, we've been telling you, we've been mm. warning you. Um, no, no actual help is offered, mm. but just a constant barrage of like, we told you, we told you, we told you. I, I think, I think it's almost the sort of the, uh, um, Soft racism of low expectations in the sense that you do it in the second and third world, yes. but the first world country can look after itself. Because Brazil got a, a oh, litany uh, of these sort of, even Greta Thunberg, uh, chip, chipped in. Then, uh, of course. And, and there is actually doubt about whether the huge Amazon that produces oxygen is actually a benefit, but that, that, that's for, for an expert opinion. I feel like the but, hippies are raging here. As, as I say that. But I mean, there have been a lot of criticism of the Australian government and, some of it is probably warranted because I gather things like equipment is very old for the firefighters, etc. Um, but one of the but one of the things that is that hippie element insisted on building houses in areas that they were told were yes. unsafe, and then when the government wanted to burn fire breaks to to create a, a zone of safety, mm. they said no. Mm-hmm. And all I can say is. You reap what you sow, Absolutely. or not as the case maybe. As we go to our, fir- our second app break, uh, oh, yikes. Uh, as we go to our second app break, um, we'll continue the conversation on international news and then slowly whittle it down to what's happening here at home. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to the IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty. I'm in conversation with the other half of this show, Saragon. And um, we've been looking at some of the issues that have made international headlines. Remember, you can get involved in this conversation. Join the chat by calling the studio number at 010-140-3020 or send us a telegram at 061-895-1019 or an SMS will do at 34519. Sarah, before the break, we're looking at the Australian uh, fire example and I must say my heart reaches out to them because we South Africans went through a very similar thing uh, a year or two ago uh, down in the Western Cape massive massive fire that saw people evacuating the images I got from Australia of people sitting on the beach watching this inferno were reminiscent of those that happened down in Nisna you know people literally had to flee to the sort of coast um, as the sort of uh, inner forest or ablaze Um, maybe as a final uh, segment on this one because it, it is going to draw the climate change crowd. It mm. is going to draw the, the sort of hippies who are very good at sort of commenting around this thing but not really offering solutions. Um, what does the Australian government do here? I know this is not a really question that we should be, you know, trying mm. to, to go into, but I feel like there, there is a, a need for them to be stern in saying, I mean, we're saying this in the break, you know, that where there, where there is necessary government action to prevent the sort of disaster, government should act, shouldn't Absolutely. it? You see, I, I, one of the things I understood from this issue of people living, building houses in the forest, um, was that the government is, is allowed to act by law, but it has not done so because they didn't want to interfere. Now, I mean, Australia, this is so strange to me because Australia is the nanny state. Mm. Um, and for, for, for Australia not to come in, for the government not to come in and say, I don't care what you want, we're going to do what's good for you anyway, um, that's in fact what they should have done because the, the, all they're going to do is be blamed for the, for the loss, uh, the loss of life and the damage to property and the loss of property that occurs. So, I think, look, the, I think the, if the Australian government wants to recover from this to some extent, it, it really has to get into action. Mm. It has to upgrade all its services. <clears throat> it has to make those, create those fire breaks for the future. Obviously, they won't necessarily all work, but whatever can be done that is acceptable, it's done. And, and because you owe it to people who do care mm. <laughs> that, that they might be burned down 
or, or, or and, they, and they really didn't uh, contravene any uh, planning laws. The last international issue I want to look at, um, just the last two maybe, because they're kind of linked but not really. Um, <laughs> you know, Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. uh, finally goes to trial. Um, there is a large group, I think, who have settled out of court. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he's finally getting his day in court, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He is. And But, you know, it was the thing of watching him g- going to court was that pathetic experience of watching somebody brought down Somebody who's wielded huge power and abused that mm. power and brought down his lost weight. He was walking with a walker. And I, I don't think that's a, a sort of prop. I, I think mm. he, really, he looked like he'd aged 10 years. Mm. Um, it's basically a case <clears throat> of my, the, uh, the, the mighty have fallen. And if there's, if there are cases against him, he's going to have to deal with it and, 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 and account. And, and why I said there's two issues and they're kind of linked is um, at the Golden Globes, oh. uh, Ricky Gervais <laughs> <laughs> um, were chuckling because his opening uh, monologue, his opening speech was absolutely hilarious and he totally eviscerated the the, the, the Hollywood elite absolutely. you know for their hypocrisy um, uh, that's the kind of tone that's the energy we should be taking into 2020 isn't it it, it was it was fantastic because the the Hollywood elite is notoriously politically correct yes. and social justice warrior types intersectional intersectionalists whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. and what Gervais did is he used the his final Hosting of the Glo- uh, Golden Globes as an opportunity to basically tear into that correctness Absolutely. and that narrow-mindedness through their faces, and you could see those that were offended or affronted or astonished, yes, and other people who genuinely laughed, and it was quite cruel. I mean, one of the things he said is, you know, there've been some. Hollywood has been changed because places like Apple, Amazon, etc., are. That's where movies are coming from. That's where the inf- that's where the information is coming from, and the opportunities as actors and actresses are coming from there. Mm. And then he said, "But you, you guys are working for companies who run sweatshops in China." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you should have seen the Apple CEO's face. Uh, yeah, he really panned him. He's like, uh, "Oh my and, goodness!" And that, you could see that, and you could see by the applause there were areas of sort of huge applause and areas of clapping. You know, <laughs> and it was. I think it was a combination of the elite being told to get stuffed on the one hand, and it was an English comedian in a, an American situation. Yes. And the, the Americans don't always ta- get English comedy. Yes, but I mean, it, it was really it was instructive though for for those of us who've been saying for a very long time that there is a culture of certain individuals, certain mm. groupings actually, who are trying to be the thought and language police mm. of the 21st century. Now, they won't do it th- these days in a, uh, a commissar's uniform or, you know, mm. like as they historically have done, but it's still the same iteration of person. It's still the authoritarian, uh, statist, um, quasi-socialist type individual who likes the idea that they have control over other people, isn't it? And this is particularly in a whole Hollywood setting because you have certain actors and actresses who speak out on certain issues. They they represent certain issues. They always represent them from the left. Yes. Um, they don't. They they know very little about what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, I suspect their research, if they've done any, t- tends to be in their area of comfort. And this was aimed at them. But you talk about in the in the sort of in the in the clothing of commissars. I have to say mm. that the dress. The, the way the women were dressed for this, and I do look at these pictures being a good cool that I am, <laughs> with a few exceptions, were appalling. So they're not even being commissars of fashion. <laughs> um, 
As we move on, maybe, and I want us to bring us closer to home now, um, because I think there are some big ticket items that we should be watching out for and things that have happened really over this holiday period. I think the largest one, or it, it really is close to home, and I'm going to begin here because it's a really sad one, is the shooting that happened in Melville mm. uh, on New Year's Eve. I mean, absolutely appalling situation to have people revelers, people who are having a wonderful time um, at uh, Poppy's mm-hmm. uh, Bar Poppy or something like uh, to that to that effect. Um, we obviously don't know the full story, but what we do know is a black SUV then sort of slowly rolls by and fires shots into the, the pub. Mm. Um, two people died on the scene mm. and I think six, uh, eight are critically injured and I think some of, a lot of them are still in hospital mm. recovering. Um, this was a shocking reminder, wasn't it, of how violent a society mm-hmm. we live in, in terms of um, just, you know, the, the, the specter of violence mm-hmm. in a normally passive neighborhood like Melville. Yeah. Well, uh, I, you know, the thing is with the drive-by shooting is it's, it's very unlikely to be... <coughs> Unplanned. It's it's planned. It is aimed at somebody, or it's aimed at a at a venue owned or run by somebody that somebody has a grudge against. So yes. so that we still have to find out. Um, but it, what struck me is the brazenness because here this this car you, you've seen the footage slowly comes up, mm. stops for a second, and they they, they fire, and um, it's I mean Seventh Avenue Melville even. At a quiet time of the day, it's damn difficult to move fast mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. And on, on New Year's Eve, just after 12, uh, uh, it'd be impossible. Mm. So, it's, well, obviously, it would, I think people would have been paralyzed by the shock of what was happening. But I think we, we tend to forget that, that through, through, because of our history, and I take our history to date, we are a terribly violent society. Absolutely. We don't, we don't, we either see violence as a, a lifestyle choice or we see it as an option in the, in the face of, Non-existent policing and, and 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 a justice system. It brings me to that point, the the, the issue of policing, because that's the the second um, uh, issue I think I wanted to look at here. You know me, Sarah. I've been a big advocate, and I am a big advocate of um, of gun ownership amongst responsible citizens. Yeah. I, I, be, I believe personally it should be a right and not necessarily a privilege as we have in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, in that instance, it was typical of what I've always argued is a problem of disarming citizens. Mm. When you have a shooter like that, an active shooter, an evil, vile individual looking to target innocence, there was no one to fight back. There was no one to, even on the first hand, create a deterrence. So someone, a criminal knowing that, oh, yikes, let me not go here because someone will fight back. Or in the second instance, if the criminal does make the decision to to attack, to, to know that there will be a a equally warranted response mm. that will put an end to their threat. There was nothing of the kind there. And you saw people literally fall like flies in mm. that video. And to me, as a as someone who is a gun, a passionate gun owner, I looked at them and I just thought, oh my goodness, this this could have been totally avoided. Mm. Uh, or not, if not avoided, no, there could have been just... a response in the moment. Because then what you started seeing, and I'll tell you where I'm going with this, what you started seeing in social on social media on the evening is people literally online putting out desperate uh, pleas for help, mm. both in terms of a, a response from the police and a response from, of course, mm. EMS. Mm. Um, and kudos, by the way, to private security who were actually first on the scene. Mm-hmm. And SAPs, we were told, uh, again, according to what we see on social media and in reports, were one of the last to come into the scene. And even then, there was no real urgency mm. from them. That is absolutely shocking in a country where you and I, Sarah, mm. expect the police to be on the ball. Mm. Well... Can I can I take it from the point of view of not 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 necessarily whether one supports 
or doesn't support private gun ownership or anything in between. Yep. But the fact is that the, the, the ability to own a gun lawfully has been made so difficult yes. by the SAPs and difficult and incompetent in that it takes months for things to happen. That's right. Um, that the ability to, to make gun ownership legal and therefore you have some method of, of some sort of control over it is, is almost negated, but the ability to own, um, illegal guns is oh, it's, it's huge. It's, I mean, you, you saw that theft from, uh, the, the from, army from, base in Centurion. Yeah. Um, I mean, it t- that tells you everything you need to know about just the incompetence of the state. And even, in my view, trusting the state to mm. oversee something like this, I believe you actually need a system which uh, greatly allows for the private sector to play an account- accountability mm. role. Again, you can have the role of the state. Don't get me mm. wrong. I'm not an anarchist, dear listener. I do believe the state has a role to play because it is the role of the state to provide safety and security to its population. But I do believe that what you do need in this instance is those of us who are responsible individuals responsible citizens must be able to be our first responders and to defend ourselves because if you don't do that and if you consist consistently insist on disarming the, uh, the populace two things happen one Incidents like uh, what happened uh, at, at Poppies, which again, I'm sorry to use that event as, as my, my, my hook or my catalyst to make this point, but it was instructive to me as someone who, who, who is in that world. Mm-hmm. To see how people just couldn't defend themselves and they couldn't drive off a threat like that. Um, and I'm sorry, criminals pay attention to this. They know this. They choose soft targets. And of course, the second element is that very same state, which is failing us in terms of providing quality, competent policing um, that acts as a deterrent and of course is able to respond, is the same state that we're expecting to control guns. I just don't see it. And again, it was that failure for me, which was really heartbreaking to then see people become victims of bad policy. But we're going to have this conversation. We're going to bring some guys from Gun Owners South Africa, various interest groupings, so we can have this conversation in an open and in a frank way as we look at the legislative environment around gun ownership and the like. Um, I know we have a comment that's just come through. Sarah? It's quite interesting. We, we have a, a, a nice slew of comments. Um, one uh, listener says, hi, please let me have your helpline number. Um, I'm not sure whether we can offer the help, um, um. but anyway... Um, the one comment says, and he's probably correct, uh, Benjamin DeVette says, well, I don't really agree with your opening statement that this is 20, this 2020 year is one for decisions. It's a year for action, which is now long overdue. And that's ex- exactly correct. And what I meant by decisions is that you actually say SAA is going to be privatized or ESCOM is going to be going to have a hundred retrenchments or whatever it may be. So in other words, He's absolutely right. It's, yeah. it's, but it is, it is about decision making because once you've made the decision, you have to commit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and I'll, I'll come to some of the others as we, as we go along. Are there, are there more comments? Yeah. Okay. Um, maybe as, as we sort of, um, cause we're in sort of, uh, we have about another 10 minutes or mm-hmm. so, one and all. Um, let me move on from Melville, uh, sorry, and I, I want to look at another issue which I think was topical and made the, the headlines, um, this year. You know, you may, you may mention it in some of the notes that we have here is the debt problem, because we were obviously talking about decision making and the need for, you know, uh, those in, in positions of power to make decisions and act on them. We are sitting on a two billion, um, rand, excuse me, two trillion rand, debt issue mm. in this country. Mm. It is a bubble which will literally bring down the entire house. Mm-hmm. No one will be safe mm. from a, a situation where people start calling in debts and we just 
do not have the money to do that. ESCOM alone mm. um, forms a, a, a sizable lying share with about 400, nearly 500 billion rand in debt now um, and still racking up year on year 20 billion rands in, in, uh, of a deficit. Sora, something has to give, mm. doesn't it? Um, <laughs> Something has to give, and the, and, the, and the giving has to come from the government. Uh, the, the, the decisions that have got to be made that that result in the action, and they do not have the the, the uh, choice to just sit and say, "Well, we're going to f- try and fiddle with this until we can get a, 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 a social society, a socialist society, and and work a plan according to those those precepts." It's just not. Um, uh, uh, Feasible, and, and I, I bring this up, Sarah, because um, in a couple of days, on the, on the 8th of January, the ANC have a, a, a oh. big bash every year in Jan um, to commemorate their the, their founding uh, date, which I think is January 8th. Um, and this year it's going to be in Kimberley, mm-hmm. and I'm already hearing friends in Kimberley saying, oh, my goodness, they, they've shut down, down. The, the city because, you know, they've locked down all accommodation, blah, blah, blah. It's a uh, a veritable mix of yellow, green, and gold, um, or green, gold, and uh, black. black, excuse me. Um, and there seems to be an aloofness to the daily lived experience of someone who's in Kimberley. Like, like this town is not like this usually. It's, yeah. Usually it's very gloomy because there's not much in the way of economic activity. And that's the story of South Africa, isn't it? No, I mean, I, I watched photo, uh, some clips of last year's celebration. And there you have the, 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 there you have the communists with champagne in <laughs> glasses clinking, you know, Bantashe, yes. Ramaphosa, et cetera, et cetera, and cutting the cake. It, you know, it's like watching a party that you've not been invited to. <laughs> And, the, the and, and being told to watch it from yeah, the like, outside. Like. And, and the funny thing, and the, and the thing is, that it does exactly that. It gives you the sense of we are so we we could, we use words like masses and poverty and inequality, but mm-hmm. we, we don't actually mean it, or we don't actually understand it, or we don't actually care. Mm. And I'm I'm going with the don't actually care. I mean, I read um, Frank Decotter's book about Mao's Great Famine over the holidays. Yeah. I, I keep my holiday reading light, yeah. as you can see, <laughs> and. What was clear, and I think it's absolutely clear in every communist state, is that they can talk about the state until they're blue in the face, but the only thing that, that has to be protected and saved and bolstered is the party. And I think the ANC is no different. Absolutely. I mean, and I was having this argument or discussion with someone online, and I was saying, because um, he was making the point, that, no, 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 in a communist society, there's no elite, um, everyone's the same, and blah, 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 blah. Um, the problem is Marx himself disagrees with this. Marx mm. advocates what he calls the vanguard of the poor, the vanguard of the proletariat, this, this small band, if you will, an elite mm. band who are supposedly the, the arbiters of all things uh, proletariat or working class, and they do make decisions on behalf of the pro- proletariat. Now, it is on that basis that anybody who is in power, who has that same communist ideology, wants, of course, to be in the vanguard because the vanguard becomes the elite. elite. They replace the so-called bourgeoisie, the rich mm-hmm. elite, the monetary elite, um, by becoming this politically connected elite. And have we not seen that in this country, South Africa? Have we not seen a, a, a growing crony network of individuals who want to be very close to, in proximity to the political elite? Uh, just one, lo- one last p- point on the birthday bash and, and, and its its strangeness. They do it every year. Absolutely. I mean, I do not know a, a single organization that celebrates its anniversary except on the milestones, the 5 or 10 years, 15, 20, 25 maybe. But every single year, it's, it's I, I would say it's actually 
Really shameful. Here's my last point on this as we move to um, our sort of penultimate break, ad break. You know, you always know the ANC's in town. You always know the ANC's in town where you see every second vehicle being one of the most expensive sedans or expensive minivans. They've got these nice little party mm. minivans that they, that they sort of have. Um, and a who's who of South African tenderpreneurs mm. coming down to hobnob essentially with the, 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 the political elites. And it is that... Um, nexus, if you will, that, that corrupt crony arrangement, mm. which we as poorest South Africans look from the outside in and we go, this is appalling. Mm. Um, and I, I feel sorry for people in Kimberley. And if you're from Kimberley and you're listening to this, please pop us a message. I'd love to hear from you. Um, but for one, I don't think anything of value is going to come out of this January 8th statement, and the country sorely needs to hear something of a message. Guys, we'll see you after this short break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Guys, welcome back to the IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty. I'm in studio, of course, with Ms. Saragon. It is 2020. We're having a conversation on what has made the news whilst we've been away on holiday and essentially what we're looking to keep a tab on in the news cycle going forward. And of course, as we're in our last segment of the show, we'll chat to you about some of the um, topics and guests that we're looking to sort of have on the show um, in 20, the year 2020. Um, with that being said, remember, you can be a part of this conversation. We're just having a chat today, a wonderful so we're chewing the fat, as the English would say. Uh, call us from the studio number, 010-140-30320, or send us a telegram at 061-895-1019, or send us an SMS, of course, at 34519. Um, I have been watching my social media feed. Uh, it's, it's Again, I think the big issue is Ricky Gervais, as I said, um, because we, we sort of covered that in our mm. conversation, because mm. it really was that good. And mm. I, I mean it when I say this, that energy is really what those of us who are uh, stand opposed to the language and the, um, the the thought police. That is the energy we need to bring in in terms of fighting back against mm. their bad arguments, mm. their bad um, at, or their attempts at controlling. You see, the, the, free beauty, the, the beauty of it is that generally self-important uh, people they have this this gathering, they have these these dinners, etc. Ricky Gervais got up there, attacked the sort of postmodernist yes. element. And they could do nothing <laughs> about it. It, 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 it was like revenge of, revenge for Twitter. It was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. And again, it also hits quite close to home. Um, the idea of censorship mm. and these thoughts and language police. I mean, we, we were having a conversation off air, Sarah, about, um, a certain local cartoonist, Germ. Mm. Um, and, you know, regardless of how you feel about germ, um, you, you must recognize the danger of having essentially a... a oh, sorry, let me set this, the, the actual issue out first. So germ is a South African cartoonist um, who draws for multiple publications. And essentially he found himself being banned or having his mm -hmm. Facebook page removed from Twitter. This is a page, by the way, that has 60,000 followers. So it wasn't some sort of small back-end um, Facebook group. It was a, quite a large group. And presumably it was banned by... Uh, what is now becoming a common feature of these these bot accounts that literally mass report your page, even though you may have done nothing wrong, um, and essentially Facebook then automatically shuts you down because I think it runs a certain algorithm that recognizes mass reporting as being a problem or an indication of a page being um, unpopular, and then it shuts you down. And my argument was, regardless of how you feel about germ, um, and 
recognizing, of course, that Facebook is a private entity. It's not a mm. government or anything mm. like that. Mm. The principle of free speech transcends that. Mm. It transcends the legalese. Because mm. we've had individuals who've debated with me online saying, oh, but, you know, Facebook is a private company. It, it, it should be free to do whatever it wants. Mm. I agree with that. That's not in contention here. What is in contention are principles that we should be standing mm. for as, as liberals that say, actually, even if you're a private entity, um, Living in a, a modern society requires rational thought mm. and rational action. And rational action in, in certain instances also requires due process. Mm-hmm. If I accuse Sarah of something, uh, that accusation in and of itself doesn't automatically mean it's true. Mm. It must be tested against her response in, uh, to the allegation, of course, the evidence. In this card, I feel like nothing of that sort mm-hmm. happened mm-hmm. and Germa just uh, kicked off. Mm-hmm. And that's not for me the sort of um, 21st century modern standards that we mm-hmm. hold. Uh, whether you're a private or a, a government enti- entity. Sorry, your thoughts, just generally? It's, you know, I, I almost get the impression that if, if there's one issue, liberals stand against the the um, left, not even the right. The right doesn't care what you say or what they say, and they're not going to stop you from doing it. But the left wants things to be said in, 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 in their narrow framework. Yep. And if any, if they determine that you've said something beyond that, they now have the means to have you essentially shut down or whatever the terminology is. Mm. Uh, the pr- as you say, one of the problems is, so Facebook pr- did this under pressure. They, they put in place these processes to curb hate speech. However, the person who is curbed has no recourse. Yeah. They don't get a hearing. They don't get a communication. They don't get an opportunity to, to discuss it with somebody um, or explain something yeah. or who, the, who give some indication <clears throat> of the sort of people who attack them, who probably in their attacks yeah. would have come close to committing hate speech themselves. Yeah. But because they're on the side of the angels... They are untouchable because they've, they dictate the, the, the discussion. And I really want to set out why this is important because I think people focused on the who in this mm. case. They said Germa, but we don't like Germa anyway. So yeah, mm. that's fine. But what if it comes down to an issue that you maybe care about? Mm. So for example, I'm an ardent Zionist. I mm. defend and love the state of Israel because it is the home of the Jewish people. Mm. And essentially we have a covenant with God that promised us this holy land. Now imagine I as Big Daddy Liberty, the, the, the Israel supporting individual. Um, you know, uh, putting out pictures of Israel, my time in Israel. I, you know, put out videos as mm. I often do. And a group of anti-Israel, anti-Semitic people then decide, you know what? We don't like the Big Daddy mm. Liberty. We don't like his support for Israel. We're going to mass report his page and have it shut down. Mm. On what basis then, what uh, due process then would I have had to actually say, no, nothing of what I said was hate speech. Mm. Nothing of what I said incited anything. Why am I being shut down? And that's the point I was making when it came to germ, and I think a point a lot of people lost because they fell for the trap, if you mm, will, mm. That's that woke trap mm. of saying, if we, the arbiters of thought and, and language, decide that this thing is bad, then it's bad. Mm. No one must have a recourse. No one must be able to talk back to us. Mm. All right? No, you see, if it fits within the scheme, I mean, you will often see if there's anything to do with the Middle East or Israel, you'll see anti-Israeli or, or in, in this recently pro-Iranian statements that... The anti-Israeli statements are, are, are hate speech. I mean, there's no doubt about yes, it. They absolutely. are hate speech. But that, 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 that hate speech is allowed. That hate speech somehow fits within the, the, with this, the, the, the scheme of things. Um, I mean, I think the, there was a, there was a, uh, I was listening to, there was a discussion between Douglas Murray and Sam Harris. Now, hmm. you know, um, 
liberal thinkers, slightly different ends of the spectrum, don't agree on everything, but they were having a chat about something, and they were reported. I mean, you know, you, you've got to, you, you've got to, and then, so what you're saying is you, you've got the, a, a small group of people probably sort of forming the basis of this larger movement that says we will determine what is said and how and by whom. And at the moment, the, uh, the Americans and the, and the, in the, in the uh, English are very, are, go, are behaving like this. Now, interestingly, I watched a discussion, a, a stage discussion between Douglas Murray and the writer Lionel Shriver, uh, hosted by The Spectator. And at the very end, the, the, uh, a young guy stood up and said he was from Russia. And he could tell us that nowhere but the English-speaking West well, probably, but in the non-English speaking West, but nowhere in the English speaking, outside of the English speaking West, this political correctness does not exist. It's just, it, 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 in other words, if you go much beyond France and Germany, this is a more, an absolutely first world conceit. Yeah. Look, sorry, we're going to wrap this up as we go to our final ad break. And when we come back, we'll talk to you about some of the issues that we're going to be looking at on the show and the guests we're going to try and bring in going forward. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Marlo Sanbonani, hello, how's it? Shalom, welcome back to the IRR show in our final five minutes as we essentially look at, um, you know, I, I want us to just, sorry, talk about the, the, the show mm. this year. What are we going to be doing? Some of the things that we're going to be pioneering mm. and trying out. Um, obviously our first guest next week is the CEO of the Institute of Race Relations. I hope we'll get him on, on if, the show. If, if he's not doing ro- uh, road shows. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, cause I want us to also have him chat to us about the liberal cause in this country. Cause mm. the IRR perhaps represent, um, one of the loudest and purest ideologically liberal voices mm. in the country left, you know, uh, that are left, be- um, um, that is, um, I heard the moment, I heard that the moment I said, said, said <laughs> it didn't on the left. Um, no, they're not. Um, and I want us to have a chat perhaps where he sets out for us some of the key major issues, mm. the, the battle lines mm. that have mm. been drawn that liberals have to respond to. And, and I say liberals really, I mean South Africans really mm. as, as mm. families that we must respond to Common that threaten us. Um, Sarah, some of the big is, uh, issues that we want to tackle this year, just generally in terms of issues. Um, you mean generally or just? Uh, yeah, generally. Uh, okay, generally. Look, <laughs> The three words, economy, economy, and economy. Absolutely. Because everything is determined how, how we deal with SAA, how we deal with, most importantly, ESCOM, how the ratings agencies respond. Because if we get an initial downgrade by Moody's, we'll then get the trifecta, so to speak, yeah. and we will be junk status. Yeah. Uh, we'll be probably not a, the, high, the, the, the greatest level of junk status, if you can call it that, but we will be junk status. And then our debt, if uh, we, our, our debt, the, the, the Foreign uh, investment holders have to withdraw their money. And if we want to borrow, the cost of the debt will be humongous. And that's usually – I know the government's got all sorts of plans for how it's going to sort of get the money out of of us through taxation, etc. But the tax base is shrinking because the economy hasn't grown. They are going to have to, at the end, look at some form of international organizational funding. Mm. And with funding comes, come obligation. And everything 
everything will be determined by that. And of course, some of the big ticket items that we're going to be facing, issues that I've forever said on social media, for example, affect the South African family, are you know the bad policy proposals by mm-hmm. the ANC government, oh, a God. government which seems to be marching down the pathway of a um, a socialist experiment, which you know history tr- shows us doesn't work. You know mm-hmm. things like expropriation without compensation, um, which I think is currently before Parliament uh, in terms of opening up to comments to the public. It, it is um, the, the the written comments of have to. The deadlines pass. The um, the oral representations will come up, but you can see where they're going because they are marching towards the March deadline. Come hell or high water, yes. so we can probably anticipate there will be flaws in that process. Absolutely, um, and there will be uh, there, there, there will be uh, there will be uh, it'll be tested in the, in the court in the, in the court, um, and then there is the I don't even know how to describe it the national health insurance, yes, which. In every discussion I've had with people in the in the industry who who know who've costed as best as possible how the NHI is going to work, it is beyond unaffordable. Yes, it is beyond unaffordable. It also won't work from a practical point of view. And as I think it was even Discovery who said that it may or may not be the NHI fund is going to be looting central. Absolutely. I mean, we cannot trust, and this is just me being frank, we cannot trust the same politicians who have shown us that once they concentrate power, once they concentrate something into a single entity, for example, ESCOM, that we cannot trust those same individuals mm. who can't run an ESCOM, who plunge us into stage six load chain, because that's the other issue we that's need to look out for yeah. this year, um, with then controlling all funding in the healthcare sector. Mm-hmm. That is literally opening up the door. You see, they, they, what they're doing is, is other than completely destroying the, the, the healthcare sector uh, in, 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 in every meaningful way. Uh, example, I know, I've heard of a young man my, my son knows who's just done his community service in medicine in, in, a rural, in a rural hospital. And he said it was chaotic. And it was chaotic. Why? Because of the quality of management. Yeah. Now, that is not a cost item. That is, that is something you can solve without spending money. Yeah. And that's what you need to solve. The rest is, is it's not going to happen if you don't get to, to grips with your quality of your management. Absolutely. Guys, uh, maybe as we wrap up in the final minute, we, this show is going to start bringing you also guests, um, from outside of the, um, Institute of Race Relations, guys from the Free Market Foundation. I know you've enjoyed having on here, such as Mbiaki Gamini. We'll have those sort of voices back on. And of course, from a much more diverse grouping, including people who maybe disagree with, uh, the liberal uh, outlook. If they're brave enough, hey, why not come onto the show and let's hear your views and let's, um, let's chat about them. But at the end of the day, we need to start building a culture of a, property-owning, freedom-loving, and a free society in South Africa. That is what we stand for here at the IRR show, mm-hmm. and we'll be unashamed in doing that. Mm-hmm. Guys, you can reach us, of course, by finding all our content on the uh, Daily Friend website. That's www.dailyfriend.co.za, or your news analysis and opinion. If you're looking for stuff to read, please go to dailyfriend.co.za, or hey, find me, your favorite fat boy, Big Daddy Liberty, on any of my social media outlooks, whether, uh, outlets sorry, from Twitter to Facebook, Facebook or the like. And you can follow the journey of BDL this year as I'll be doing some big stuff too. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Sarah, your last word? Good luck. (laughs) Guys, happy 2020. We'll see you next week.